0: Good morning, Encounter Church. Go ahead and grab your Bibles and uh, make your way to the book of Micah. If you're not there already, the book of Micah, we will be concluding our study in Micah's book, Lord Willing, this morning. Bill, thank you for uh, leading us, bringing the announcements to us. Bill is one of our elders and uh, does a wonderful job helping uh, lead the church, and we're grateful for him. Uh, You may have heard uh, Bill mention Dr. Dill uh, there in his prayer on a Friday afternoon, uh, Dr. Dill experienced a stroke, and he is in the hospital right there at, at Baptist East, and uh, praise the Lord. I know Tom's here uh, this morning, and uh, the the report from the doctors is favorable, as favorable as it can be uh, after suffering a stroke, and so we are thankful for that, we're thankful for God's just his timing uh in that and we're thankful for modern medicine also and so be praying for uh steve i know we are we love the dills uh don't we and are grateful for them and so if you get a chance maybe just uh send linda a card or a text or a phone call i'm sure they would appreciate hearing from us um micah chapter seven all right are you there uh, Lord willing, uh, we will, you'll find the book of Micah there in the, in the Old Testament. Again, if, if you've been around here, you know that we've spent time in Jonah and a couple months there in Jonah, and now we just went ahead and thought we'd pick up Micah here, and we're finishing Micah here this morning. So I invite you, go ahead and follow along with me as I read, uh, starting in verse 8, and we'll make our way all the way through verse 20. Uh, Micah writes these words. He says, "'Do not gloat over me, my enemy.'" Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in the darkness, the Lord will be my light. Because I I have sinned against him, I will bear the Lord's wrath until he pleads my case and upholds my cause. He will bring me out into the light, and I will see his righteousness. And then my enemy will see it and will be covered with shame. She who said to me, where is the Lord your God? My eyes will see her downfall. Even now, she will be trampled underfoot like mire in the streets. The day for building your walls will come. The day for extending your boundaries. And in that day, people will come to you from Assyria and the cities of Egypt, even from Egypt to the Euphrates, and from sea to sea, and from mountain to mountain. The earth will become desolate because of its inhabitants as the the result Of their deeds. And so shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your inheritance, which lives by itself in a forest and fertile pasture lands. Let them feed in Bashan and Gilead, as in days long ago, as in the days when you came out of Egypt. I will show them my wonders. Nations will see and be ashamed, they'll be deprived of all their power. They will put their hands over their mouths and their ears will become deaf. They will lick dust like a snake, like creatures that crawl on the ground. And they will come trembling out of their dens. They will turn in fear to the Lord our God and will be afraid of you. Oh, who is is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but you delight to show mercy. And you will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and you will hurl our iniquities, our sins, into the depths of the sea. And you will be faithful to Jacob and show love to Abraham as you pledged on oath to our ancestors in days long ago. I heard on the radio, this uh, not this morning, but yesterday, actually, as I was driving around, I heard on the radio uh, the song, Oh Holy Night, which, interestingly enough, was one of my favorite songs we sang uh, the other evening at Christmas caroling, and it could just be the how, how it harmonizes. Uh, oh Holy Night, but in that, as I was listening to it on the radio yesterday, in that song, there's this, this one sentence that stuck out to me, obviously, in particular, because of sermon I'm preaching this morning, but it says, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. When we are weary, when we are troubled, what do we long for? Hope. Hope. Right? We, we want hope. Much of our lives runs on the fuel of hope. Even uh, thinking about uh, with Dr. Dill being in the, in the hospital, uh, texting back and forth with Tom, waiting for the results from Dr. Dill's MRI to see just how serious is the stroke injury. And we're waiting for those hopeful words, Lord willing, from a doctor that he will speak, he or she will speak words that are hopeful to us. (laughs) Uh, Maybe you play in a basketball tournament or a basketball game, and maybe your your team is down and by by a couple points, but maybe your star player is there on the free throw line there at the end. And you're glad that he or she is there on the free throw line because you're hopeful that they'll make the winning shot. Even yesterday, as I was walking out of Walmart, which is a place I would encourage you to avoid this time of year, as I was making my way out of Walmart, there was a young couple who were there standing in front of that claw machine right that where you can get those stuffed animals and there was a girl there and And uh, as I passed by, she right the claw went down and it actually picked up. I don't know it was a minion stuffed toy or whatever it was. It picked it up and she was rejoicing. She was really happy. And then it got to the top and it dropped it. it, and she was her hopes for a new plush toy were utterly dashed. But I'm fairly confident they were on a date because the guy just reached in his pocket and gave her another dollar bill. And I thought they're clearly not married because that wouldn't. That's not how that rolls. Uh, but a lot of our lives uh, runs on hope, doesn't it? We live in a world where our hope is more wishful thinking. At least for, for those who haven't, or where our trust is not in God's word and our trust is not in Jesus, our hope is wishful thinking. It's more like crossing our fingers. It's more like Dorothy uh, clicking her ruby red slippers it's a wishful hope, but as followers of Jesus Christ, the hope of Scripture is a confident assurance. It's a confident assurance. And so when we find, like a holy night tells us, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. Right? It's that hope that we look for when we find ourselves in dark times, in seasons of struggle, we want to hold on to that hope, and here we find ourselves at the end of, of the book of Micah. And, and for those of us, as we've, as we've traveled through Micah, we have traveled through a lot, a lot of dark seasons. A lot of this book is doom and gloom. It's Micah forecasting, not forecasting, but prophesying that, ju- that God's judgment is coming on them because of their sin that they will be carried off into exile, that this is not a multiple choice exam, that God is going to use Assyria, God is going to use Babylon in this day, and he will use them as his rod, as his instrument of discipline because of their sin. And yet now Micah, here at the end, he gives us this hope. He gives us these these promises. In today's verses, we are going to see the character of, of God, we're going to see God's eternal promises. We will see God's enduring faithfulness. In our verses this morning, we will uncover and be reminded that God holds true to his commitments, that God holds true to his everlasting covenants. We're going to look back and we will see God's providential hand as well. Not only in, these, in this text do we look back, but we also will look forward to his promises of the future, that he will one day fulfill, that in Jesus Christ, every yes and every amen will be fulfilled. When we study these truths this morning, I pray that we will allow them to really fasten our hearts to the confident assurance that we have, and that we will find ourselves more at peace when the world around us seems to be falling apart, when the world around us seems to be filled with darkness. Throughout the book of Micah, uh, the future of the Israelites—it did seem hopeless, didn't it? Right? It, it was filled with doom and gloom. But Micah was hopeful. Why? Because he knew that. Because he knew God, and he fully trusted in the Lord. And so this morning, we're going to consider God's past faithfulness as well. We will see his future promises. Both of those are, are intertwined, all right? It's almost like there's three cords that are woven together here in our text this morning. We see his past faithfulness. We see the, the future hope, the promises to be fulfilled, and how Micah takes that and he says, this is hope for today, the past, the, the past and the, the future the present woven together like three cords. And the big idea for this morning is this, is that God's past faithfulness and his future promises will give us hope for today, because that's what the people needed. Again, let's understand the context of this, right? There in the mid-700s BC, as Micah, the prophet, is sent. And he is sent to Prophesy and to say because of your sin, because of your rebellion, because you've turned your back on the Lord, judgment is coming to you. And in fact, Assyria was marching and Assyria was was actually getting down close to Jerusalem. At one point in time, it actually surrounds the city of Jerusalem and besieges Jerusalem for for a period of time. And so so what, what the people need is hope. The thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices. A time of darkness, give us a glimmer of hope. Let us see a glimmer of that light. And so, again, we see in this text, we'll see his past faithfulness, God's past faithfulness. We'll see his promises of the future. And it helps us have hope today. And I pray that it will help us today. And really, this is, again, Micah is a... a, book of prophecy and it was a prof- it was a prophetic uh, word to the israelites of this of of the s- 700 bc right a long time ago it was a a word of prophecy to them but also many of these prophecies have yet to be fulfilled right some of them have been fulfilled others of them are yet to be fulfilled and really what we're going to be studying this morning are prophecies are promises that have yet to be fulfilled that we can anticipate and can look forward to. In fact, we sang that song, Joy to the World. Right? It's a Christmas carol, isn't it? We often think of it as, as a Christmas carol, but believe it or not, Joy to the World was written with Jesus' his second coming in mind. It, and and I would encourage you, Michael Fay, maybe you can st- whip that up for us here later today, right? We can strum that. But as we si- if, you sing, if you sing that and read those lyrics with Jesus' second coming in mind, in fact, even with a lot of what we study this morning, you will realize, oh, wait a second. He's not talking the joy to the world. Yes, there's joy to the world in Jesus' first coming. Absolutely, coming as a baby, as a Christ child. But Isaac Watts, as he wrote that, he had Jesus' second coming in mind with that and again we'll see a lot of that reflected in our text here this morning and so what we're looking at again church it's bonus Sunday right we're not going to have three promises we're not going to have four promises but you're getting your money's worth this morning we're going to have five promises and I tell you there are so many more but time I'm I I I have this clock that stares me down every Sunday and I know that you all want to go to dinner tonight so I better get on with it right so just five promises Uh, And here's the first promise. The promise that we see here that Micah is giving to these people to give them hope in a dark season is that God will save his people from their enemies. Micah says, God is going to save you from their enemies. And why is that such a significant uh, word of promise to them? Why is that hopeful? Because their enemies were breathing down their necks. Their enemies were about to carry them off into exile, were about to take them off. and In fact, it very well could be by the, by the time that this particular prophecy may have been uh, shared with the people, of, with the southern kingdom, it very well could have been that the northern kingdom was already being carried off into exile, into Assyria. Right? Historically, again, we're, we're talking about history here, right? We're not talking about fables and fairy tales, we're talking about history here that, that really happened. And so it very well could have been that a lot of the northern, right, the the people of the northern tribes there, the northern kingdom, they very well may have been under the oppression of the enemies. And Micah specifically is speaking to the city of Jerusalem, which is the southern kingdom here. And And Micah says that there's a day coming that right now your enemies are gloating over you. But there's a day coming when God will save you completely. From your enemies. And so we see that there in verses 8 through 10. Follow along in your copy of God's word with me as I read these verses. Micah writes, He says, Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Because I have sinned against him, I will bear the Lord's wrath until he pleads my case and upholds my cause. He will bring me out into the light, and I will see his righteousness. And then my enemy will see it and will be covered with shame. She who said to me, where is the Lord your God? My eyes will see her downfall. Even now she will be trampled underfoot like mire in the streets. Micah is speaking here. Uh, He's he's speaking really as as a representative. Certainly he is speaking this to the people as a representative, as a spokesperson for God. But you notice he also almost has a dual role here where he as well speaks as a spokesman for the people, taking on, identifying himself with the sins of the people as well. And we see that he says, speaking to the enemies, he says, do not gloat over me, my enemy. We're reminded, Micah is saying that the enemies will not get the final word. That in fact, God is using Assyria. Micah reminds them through our text in, in, in past weeks, that that God is using Assyria as his tool of discipline because of their disobedience. And and I hope you notice that, that that there in verse 9, Micah identifies and says, yes, we as a people, we have sinned. Do you notice he doesn't make any excuses here, right? He says, because I have sinned against him, we have sinned against him. What does he say? I will bear the Lord's wrath. What is the Lord's wrath going to be? Being carried off into exile, right? Being held prisoner, by these Assyrians. And so but but Micah says that there's a day coming. There, there is a day when the enemies will they themselves will be defeated. That even though right now They might be gloating, they might be boasting, they might be bragging, they might be asking questions like he says there, right? The question that these Assyrians may have been able to, maybe as they're carrying them off, or the Babylonians as they're carrying them off into exile, they may have said, where is your Lord now? Where is your God? Micah says that God is going to one day show up, and he'll show up with a vengeance Micah says he continues there in verse 8 he says my eyes will see her downfall even now she will be trampled underfoot like mire in the streets what what Micah is saying is that there's a day coming and he gives this word of encouragement to his people is that there's a day coming when God will have the final say there's a day coming when the nations will see this and they will eventually fall in defeat so that's a promise that he gives to the people he also reminds them that God's discipline there's there's value in God's discipline that God is working a righteousness in us when he disciplines us in our sin And that when God, when when we have, when we repent of our sin and we know that and we know that there are consequences, we need to trust the Lord in the midst of this. Micah is not, he's he's not harboring bitterness against the Lord, is he? Instead, he is trusting God even in this time of discipline, even in this this time of exile. He's saying, God, I trust in you, and I trust that you're you're going to bring me into the light, that I'm going to see your righteousness through this. That's the first promise. Promise number two, now you might be looking at your watch right now and say, wow, we got through that one really quick. This shouldn't take long. Well, I hate to say it. I actually started my sermon preparation from the fifth promise and worked my way back. And as I tend to do, where I start tends to have the most meat, okay? So we'll get to the meaty part, all right? But promise number two is that God is going to eventually regather his people. Right? These are all promises that Micah is speaking to these people, verses eleven and through 13. What does he say? He says, "The day for building your walls will come." Why is that significant? Because at this point in time in their lives, their walls were being burnt down. This beautiful city of Jerusalem that they longed to be in, Mount Zion, where, 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 the, where, where they wanted to be, where the temple was, where they met with their God, was being destroyed. So in verse 11 he says there's a day coming there's a that the day for building your walls will come. He says the day for extending your boundaries. And he says in verse 12 he says in that day people will come to you from Assyria and the cities of Egypt even from Egypt to the Euphrates and from sea to sea and from mountain to mountain the earth will become desolate because of its inhabitants as a result of their deeds. Again, what Micah is telling them is that the present reality of Jerusalem being destroyed, that is not the final act. And Micah gives them a future promise that God will one day reclaim his people. That there's a day coming when the walls of Jerusalem will be rebuilt. The nation will indeed be completely restored. That God's favor and his salvation has not left the Israelites that God's favor and salvation has not left those who believe. There's a day coming. And again, I'm speaking, we're preaching, we understand this to believe that this day is still yet to come. That that these promises that we're looking at this morning have not been fulfilled. The promises for Micah's day, they're promises for our day that God is going to indeed regather to gather his people together. And so the picture is that this is an expanding city. You see there that the day for building your walls will come, the day for extending your boundaries. That, that, this, that the city member, the members of this city is growing. How does that grow? I'll tell you how the, mem- how the names of that city grows is when you and I share the gospel with other people. It's that idea of that, that the city the walls will need to expand as Jesus builds His church. And as God's chosen people, the Israelites, and as we, the Gentiles, the church we are grafted in, those who have believed that Jesus, born in that manger nearly 2,000 years ago, is indeed the Messiah, that He came, He lived, He died, was buried, and rose again and is living today, that as believers in that reality, in that truth, And as we invite other people in that, that the the city walls of the new Jerusalem that Revelation speaks of, that those city walls are expanding. And church, I wonder, how are you participating in that activity? That God has called you to share the gospel, to share the good news. This Friday night, Christmas Eve, Eve, it's a great opportunity for you to invite people to hear this good news so that the the city walls of Jerusalem might be expanded. Even right now, this morning, Christy Horton is sharing the gospel with those children in her class. And she's inviting those young children to trust in Jesus. Right now, she's doing that. She's praying that God would expand the roll call, the membership list. And we also see, Micah continues on, he says that there's going to be a global migration to this new Jerusalem. That the believing Jew, the believing Gentile alike, they will be reclaimed. He says that from sea to sea, from mountain to mountain, they will make their way back. They will inhabit this new Jerusalem. The walls, the coming day when the walls will be rebuilt. We see then in verse 13, it says that the earth will become desolate because of its inhabitants as a result of their deeds. He gives us a picture, right? right. This, these, are, these are hopeful promises for those who believe, but for those who have failed to believe, who have chosen in their hearts to not believe in the Christ child, in Christ crucified, and in Christ coming again, he says that this is a picture of judgment. That the earth will become desolate because of its inhabitants as a result of of their deeds. For those who have not trusted in Christ, there's nothing hopeful promised. Their territory will be desolate. You see, in this coming kingdom, in this promised city, we're reminded that all who believe will be regathered again together. That not a single person who believes will be forgotten. I think of, I I have in mind of of, of the shepherd, right? The the parable of the lost sheep. The shepherd where he leaves the 99 to go and find the one. Is that these city gates will not be closed until that one finally enters in. That last one enters in. And I think there's there's hope for us today in that at times, sometimes we feel lost in this world, don't we? Even in the church, sometimes we can feel lost and forgotten. Even as a pastor, sometimes I fail to do a good job of shepherding those in even a small congregation, knowing that there are people who slip through the cracks. That there are people who I forget to call or forget to follow up on. But here, as, as Micah says, he will regather all who have believed. I'm reminded that there's not a single person who will fall through the cracks. And so if you have ever felt like you have been forgotten. Or have fallen through the cracks. Or no one cares for you. I want to remind you that if you believe in Jesus Christ. Your name is written on that roll call, and you will be welcomed in. And there's a day coming, again, as they're hauled off into exile, and as they then are spread around, taken away from Jerusalem, Micah says, but wait, there's a day coming when this city will be rebuilt and when we will, be, we, we will return to this land in which we love. And then the, the third promise is this, is that God is going to shepherd his people. Verse 14. We, we, we get a sense here that Micah now is almost making a request to God, right? That, that these verses leading up to this are indeed prophetic words Uh, words of instruction and now we have this sense where Micah now turns his attention to the Lord and he says shepherd your people with your staff the flock of your inheritance which lives by itself in a forest and fertile pasture lands let them feed in Bashan and Gilead as in days long ago So he's asking the Lord, again, because, and and this is also hopeful, these these are also hopeful words, uh, words of promise and hope to the people because the leaders of that day of Jerusalem had oppressed the people and had taken advantage of the people, and now, and this would be a likely result, right? Micah would say, okay, I understand that you're going to regather us again one day, that the city will be rebuilt we understand that, but God, who's going to be in charge? Because if we don't want these leaders to be in charge anymore. And, and so the request is, won't you be a shepherd to us? So he makes this request that God, asking God to shepherd his people. And then he says, shepherd your people with your staff. The word staff is significance is significant because here is one of those examples where we see Micah dipping back into God's past faithfulness and then, and then springboarding us into the future promises. The word staff is, sig- is significant because it draws our attention back to Genesis chapter 49, verse 10. And in that account, you might even just make a note there in your Bible or in your notes to look up Genesis 49 verse 10 because that's the account when Jacob is blessing his sons. And you might remember that Jacob had 12 sons who, and those sons later became, right, the 12 tribes of, of Israel were named after Jacob's sons. And Jacob had a specific blessing for his son Judah. And in Genesis 49 verse 10, the blessing is this. Jacob says to Judah that the scepter will not depart from you, right? The the idea of of a scepter, a king would, would carry around a scepter, authority. He says the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he to whom it belongs shall come and the obedience of the nations shall be his. There in Genesis 14, or 49, verse 10, right? Jacob is giving us a promise of the eternal shepherding rule of Jesus. Now again, King David, what tribe did David come from? I'll give you one guess. Judah. He came from Judah. What tribe did Jesus come from? I'll give you one guess. The tribe of Judah. And so as Jacob is giving this promise, as he's giving this unique blessing to his son Judah, right? Hundreds of years, thousands of years prior to even the birth of Jesus, as he's giving this blessing, we we get a picture, right? David What was David before he became king? He was a shepherd. So in David, we see David being that shepherd king. But was David perfect? (laughs) Absolutely not. Far from it. He certainly had a heart after God's own heart, but we understand his own failings, don't we? So even King David did not fulfill this. But then Jesus comes through the tribe, of a descendant of Judah. And what does Jesus describe him as? The good shepherd. What also is Jesus described as? The king of kings. So when Micah says, shepherd your king with your staff, He's going back to God's faithfulness and in his minds and in the, people, in the minds of the people, they might say, is, Jesus, is, is, is this the one, right? Who, when is this one going to come, right? Will, will, you, will you shepherd us out of the promise of Genesis 49 verse 10? He goes on, he says, the flock of your inheritance, which lives by itself in a forest and fertile pastures, lands, let them feed in Bashan and Gilead as in days of Long ago, basically, Micah is saying, man, can you bring back the good old days? He remembers what it was like living in God's blessing. He understands that the future, that the the days that are in their short term that are coming carried off into exile are not going to be like the days of God's blessing in the past. And he says, won't you send us a shepherd and that shepherd was found in Jesus Christ. Is found in Jesus Christ. We go on then, promise number four. We see that God is going to display his sovereignty over the nations. Verses 15 through 17. Micah says, as in the days when you came out of Egypt, I will show them my wonders nations will see and be ashamed deprived of all their power they will put their hands over their mouths and their ears will become deaf they will lick dust like a snake like creatures that crawl on the ground they will come trembling out of their dens they will turn in turn in fear to the lord our god and will be afraid of you again here in verse 15 just in the same way that in verse 14 where he says, shepherd your people with your staff. The staff that was promised to the line of Judah. Won't you be that shepherd? Jesus fulfills that. Then in verse 15 we, we have this sense. What, what happens is, is he's actually looking back to God's past faithfulness in their lives. And he's reflecting back on when God brought the Israelites out of Egyptian captivity. We see there in verse 15, he says, As in the days when you came out of Egypt, I will show them my wonders. You might remember, right, as, G, as, as God is bringing the Israelites out of Egyptian captivity, how did God display himself? With great wonders, didn't he? Right? We, have, we have the ten plagues. Uh, then as he continues to carry them on, uh, he led them across the Red Sea, didn't he? Right, Th- that great wonder. And then as they entered into this wilderness wandering, even, right, remember, the wilderness wandering also was a means of, of God's discipline for their lack of faith, wasn't it? For 40 years. For 40 years. Wandering around in the wilderness, but even then, God was present with them. How, Right? We understand through the tabernacle for sure, but God also provided for them daily, didn't he? Manna from heaven. God provided he met their needs. How did he lead them? A pillar of fire by day. Right, or a pillar of fire by night, a cloud by day. God, God even, in the, even in God's discipline, God is present there with us, guiding us and leading us. And so Micah here, he's, he's looking back and he is saying that in the same way that God brought us out of that Egyptian captivity, there's a day coming when God will bring us out of this captivity, out of this exile as well. He gives them the promise that God is going to show himself mightily in, in the future that will be somewhat reminiscent of the power that God displayed there as they came out of Egypt. Verses 16 and 17, he goes on and and he tells us how these world powers are going to be humiliated. They'll be brought to shame, how they'll be brought to their knees, right? What does he say? He says, nations will see and be ashamed, deprived of all their power. They will put their hands over their mouths. Their ears will become deaf. They will look dust like a snake, like creatures that crawl on the ground. What does that remind you of? That takes you back to Genesis, doesn't it, right? Yeah, thank you. I I heard you over there, uh, Margaret. Satan, right? It reminds us of God, right? And his rebellion against the Lord. He said, you will now eat the dust of the ground. You'll crawl on your belly. If you've ever heard that saying, what is it like? Uh, Eat my dust, or or something like that, right? Where does that come from? Well, that scripture. Or bite my dust. Is that what it is? I, I'm not sure what it is. You can Google that later. Maybe I just made up a few really good sayings that, that you can use, right? But but that that's that what he, what Micah is saying is that the oppression of the nations against other nations, right? The greed and the violence of the Assyrians. All of this greed and this violence that motivates nations to go to war, war, the world powers that believe they are above any form of accountability. Don't we see this even in our world today? That leaders believe that, they, that there's no form of accountability. What God says is all of them, all of these world powers, all of these world leaders will one day be held accountable. That the most powerful armies of every age will eventually meet their ruin ruin, and they will submit to God's authority. That as God ushers in his final conquest, as these verses are giving us a glimpse, in the same way that joy to the world longs for, gives us a glimpse of Jesus' coming return. That Jesus will come not as a Christ child, but as a conquering king. It gives us this glimpse that all of those world powers that are soaked in pride, that are motivated by greed, that who believe they are not accountable to anyone, will find themselves accountable to God. And that in that day, God will reestablish Israel. Again, he'll rebuild her, her walls. He'll extend her boundaries. He will bring together the remnant of believers that are scattered all around the world that not a single one of you will be forgotten. And that the mighty works of God will break the nations of this world. He says, they'll lick dust like a snake. He says, these nations will have nowhere to hide no matter how big their armies are no matter how big of a mighty of a fortress they, have made, they may have built, that there's a day coming that they will come trembling, he says, out of their dens. Dens and safe harbors that were built to keep them safe and comfortable. In fact, in Revelation chapter 18, verse 9 and 10, again, right? What were we doing? We're, we're looking at God's past faithfulness As we're getting glimpses of Genesis and the book of Exodus and all the way up through. And we're also getting glimpses of what is to come, God's future promises. In Revelation 18 verses 9 and 10, the apostle John gives us a preview of what this humiliation is going to look like. He says, John gives us this glimpse. He says that the kings of the earth, the kings of the earth who committed acts of immorality and lived sensuously with her, Okay, with her, speaking of Babylon, all right, the, the city that's against God, those kings will weep and lament over her when they see the smoke of their city burning as they stand at a distance. Why? Because of the fear of her torment, saying, Woe, woe, the great city, Babylon. Babylon the strong city for in one hour, your judgment has come. Empires that take generations to build. John says the conquering king who is coming again. Will destroy them. In but moments. In the span of hours. Church, there's hope for us today in our endurance to trust in the King of the eternal city. That we should keep our eyes fixed on the Lord of Lords who reigns over the kingdom to come. It's a kingdom, it's a city that's not built by human hands. It's a kingdom in a coming city that does not answer to the rulers of this world as believers. Right, we are often maybe you find yourself sometimes tempted to surrender or submit to the worldly decrees of this world that those who are in power positions of influence or in, in positions of power, maybe there are, there are decrees that come out or, or influences that you know are contrary to scripture, and maybe there's a hesit- maybe at times you're tempted to say well if if I just agree with that then then life will go a little bit better for me, right? If, if I just fall in line with what the powers of today say, then maybe life will go better with me. Micah reminds us to have courage. To endure. That we don't have to celebrate what the world celebrates. That we don't have to condemn that which the world condemns. That when they look at us and they say, well, well, why are you following Scripture? And, and, and they tell us phrases like, you will, you're going to find yourself on the wrong side of history. We know how the end ends up. And that there's a conquering king who's going to return. And that all nations, all powers that flex their muscles today, there's a day coming when they will bend their knee. And so we don't lose heart. As well, we're reminded that the treasures of this world will all come to pass. Empires will fall. Buildings will crumble. Worldly riches won't matter. Knowing this to be true, we should live our lives for the age to come. For the city that is being built even now. Because the present form of this world is indeed passing away. Well, we find ourselves now at the fifth promise. Probably the best one of them all. Promise number five is that God is going to establish an eternal righteousness in us. Micah concludes with an exaltation of God's mercy. Verses 18 through 20, he says, Who is a God like you? Right, Uh, uh, Almost as an echo of... Where, where the people as they were defeating as they're carrying them off into exile they're saying where is your God and they're saying that taunting them Micah now turns to the Lord holding fast to God's faithfulness and his future promises Micah turns and he celebrates and he exalts the Lord he says who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgressions of the remnant of his inheritance?" You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot, and you will hurl our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You will be faithful to Jacob. You'll show love to Abraham as you pledged on oath to our ancestors in days long ago. Sadly, time doesn't allow us to turn back to Exodus chapter 15. But write that down. Exodus chapter 15 is Moses' song after they had escaped Egyptian captivity, just after they had crossed the Red Sea. And what you will see is, is some of what Micah declares here is an echo of Moses' song and Miriam's song. Again, we've already heard Moses and Aaron and Miriam in weeks previous, haven't we? They've already been brought to our attention. And here Micah, he he echoes their song of deliverance here at the end of Micah chapter 7. In a similar way that God defeated the Egyptian army is what Micah is saying, in the same, same way that God defeated the Egyptian army, casting the Egyptian army where? To the bottom of the sea. What's Micah say? God is going to cast our enemy of sin where? To the bottom of the sea. He says it right there. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities. Iniquity, what is iniquity? It's a sin against God. You'll hurl all of our sins into the depths of the sea. Cory Ten Boom, if you're familiar with her, she adds, she adds to this in the depths of the sea and then God puts at the edge of the seawater a sign that says, no fishing. Because aren't we often tempted to try to go back and dig up those old sins. Aren't we often tempted to live in that shame and that regret that we carry around with us? That sin that we've struggled with, that we've confessed time and time and time again. That sin that will one day be cast to the bottom of the sea. What does that mean? It means God doesn't hold that sin against us. And if that's true, then you need to stop holding it against yourself as well. Micah says that God will ultimately forgive the sins of the people. Again, why are they being carried off into exile? Because of their sin. Because of their disobedience. And Micah now says, there's a day coming when our enemies will be defeated. When we'll return to Jerusalem. When he will gather all of us up again And he says, in that day, our sins will be forgiven and we will live in an eternal righteousness before the Lord. He said, God delights in mercy. God delights in mercy. It speaks of God's loyal love, his steadfast love, his unfailing love, his tenderness. It describes that God is merciful to us. Those who are in need of pity, God reaches out to us. Consider this truth. Mull this over today that the holy God delights in demonstrating his love to you. Not just to your neighbor, but look yourself in the mirror today and say, God delights in mercy over me. And again, if God delights in mercy and He doesn't hold His anger forever, then we should learn to let go of our anger, shouldn't we? We should learn to let go of our shame, our guilt, our sin, because He's casting them into the bottom of the oceans in the same way that He cast the Egyptian army into the bottom of the sea. That we shouldn't allow the mistakes of our past or our failures to define who we are in Christ Jesus and who we will one day become. For all of eternity, we are forgiven. Verses 19, he says, we're reminded that God is going to save us from our sins. And then in verse 20, that God is going to position his people beyond the reach of sin. Look there, it says that you will be faithful to Jacob and to show love to Abraham as you pledged on oath to our ancestors in days long ago. Micah reaches way back into history. And he says, that God who made that promise to Jacob, that we see the blessing again that Jacob made on Judah, that that staff will not depart from Judah. We We see that it's partially fulfilled in David, that first shepherd king. It's completely then fulfilled in Jesus, right? The perfect shepherd king. That the love that he showed to Abraham when Abraham trusted in Jesus and he followed him. That it will be demonstrated and shown to us for all eternity. And that gives us hope. It gives us hope knowing that as believers in this world. We're no longer enslaved to sin but boy we still do struggle with sin don't we? And that struggle is a worthy battle, but it gives us hope in that battle, knowing that there's a day coming when we will no longer struggle with sin. Because that sin will be done away with. And that gives us hope. That gives us hope to not give up in our struggle against sin, but also it should give us hope in our in our Lord's return As I've mentioned already and I'll mention it again and you'll hear me mention it again in the future that that one of our daily prayers should be come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus. And bring to all of these promises, bring all of these promises to fulfillment. As followers of Jesus we hold on to hope we look with confidence to the day when the wrongs of this world will be made right. We look forward to the day that those who have practiced injustice, that they will be held accountable. That the poor and the needy will sit at a banquet table. That the lonely will be loved and completely known. That as these promises are fulfilled in in a time yet to come that we look forward to, that that the hurting not only will be cared for, but will be cured. That those who taunt evil against us will be silenced. That the tears of grief and pain will be wiped away. And church, if it is true then, if that's what we look forward to then, then our responsibility today and the days to come, in that prayer even, asking God to bring His kingdom, that we as citizens of that kingdom, we give the world a glimpse of the kingdom even in the here and now. That we should live for these realities Today. that we would give a glimpse of the promises that are yet to be fulfilled, that we would give people a taste of them even here still. Believing that God's past faithfulness, His future promises give us hope for today. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray now that you would take your word Uh, allow it to sink deeply in our hearts to give us hope and to now live according to it. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit who helps us to do just that. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.